Welcome to Discover and Work. I'm Richard Wicks, and we're back with Katie Larson. It's uh, part two of, I well, Katie Larson's, you know, story of um, being a highly sensitive person, all the way through to being a highly sensitive person's coach, and uh, with a PhD in transform- transformational learning. Um, so, uh, thanks, Katie. I mean, for, for for us, it's just a couple of seconds, but everyone else, it's been a week. So. Um, is there anything you want to add to like your your background just to remind people or or do you want to go straight in let's go straight in if you want to you can check out my website growthquest.com and um, see a little bit about the work i do and um, my my background as well exactly um so um we were i think we got up i don't know where we got to we talked about your sister being able to uh, being a law enforcement person, being able to smell criminals and people who are lying. Yeah. Um, and then we were talking about um, the challenges of being a highly sensitive child that you experienced and, and that squeaky wheel. Um, so uh, you trained as a science teacher and then what, what was there like a breaking point or a gateway point that you experienced and said like, you know, I, I can't, can't go on like this. Luckily for me, it wasn't a breaking point of dissatisfaction, but a breaking point of curiosity. So what happened was um, I had, if we go back a little bit before I had become a professional teacher, I was a a training teacher. Mm -hmm. And in university, I had one of these amazing professors who changed my life forever, where he challenged us. First of all, how amazing is this assignment? His assignment was the only thing you need to do this year for my class is you have to identify a prejudice that you have and break it. And so here we are having to do like deep dives within us of like, you know, everybody had a different type of person that they had a prejudice against. Mm. Mine, this is so terrible to admit, but it's really kind of ironic for where I live now is it was Asian people because I actually didn't grow up around Asians. But when I was in university, I lived above an Asian grocery store. And I was just, I didn't understand Asian culture. I was like, weirdly, I was like intrigued, but annoyed, right? Because it was like loud, different languages being yelled, but it was probably just, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm fine, how's your son? But it was loud and I didn't understand it. So I had this prejudice and our assignment was you had to get to know you had to really truly get to know someone and then work actively to break your prejudice. So I had to go down to the grocery store every day. I had to learn recipes. I had to ask them how to make the recipes. I had to talk to them, these types of things. And it not only changed me inside, but it made me realize like, what else am I afraid of that I'm avoiding? Mm. And I said to my professor, like, I want to keep doing this. This is so great. And he goes, well, what are you afraid of? And I said, leaving leaving my friends and family. I'm afraid of that. And he says, we'll do it. And I did it. I spun a globe. I put my finger on the globe. I landed in the Pacific Ocean, but then I moved it down to land and it was New Zealand. And I hardly knew anything about New Zealand. And I just took a leap of faith. And I went there in my very early 20s as a training teacher. And I lived in Auckland. And as soon as I arrived, I felt like home. I felt home. I felt like I was brought back to somewhere where I, I don't think it was a coincidence or fate that I was there. Like I needed to be there, right? So as a result of going to New Zealand, I then changed the trajectory of my life into being someone who 
needed to be out in the bigger world. I, I felt like I had outgrown my um, upbringing and I needed to be out in the bigger world. But as right. fate would have it and as, you know, irony and, and laughter, I ended up coming back to where I grew up in the United States and working at the high school that I graduated from oh, wow. because that was the only place. Yeah, it was the only place that had an opening and I was hired three days before school started. And so the funny thing about that was I now had a challenge of um, I couldn't fail in front of my old teachers. And I think that helped me really excel as a teacher and do well because I had such prying eyes of look at this girl, you know, she's coming back. She, I, I felt like I needed to prove myself. Right. But as a teacher in the U.S., you get three months off in the summers. So each summer I would put myself back into the world. And so I was then working as um, a teacher in Costa Rica and Peru, and then as a field biologist in Mongolia and Kenya and Borneo. Mm. And I was literally in the field with rubber boots, machetes, like going out and testing cheetah poop for cortisol level, like stress levels. And I was mm. like trying to put trackers and crocodiles in the Kinipatanian River and Borneo. I mean, like real hardcore science and um, loving it. I loved it. Mm. But I also was in love with my husband. And so I stayed in my hometown with my husband. And it wasn't until 2010 that we finally were able to leave the U.S. And so when I was in between, right before leaving my science job, and moving overseas, mm -hmm. I did have that experience that was one of the transformative experiences of my life. So right. the first transformative experience of my life was moving to New Zealand, and it really very much was, and it right. changed me to be um, a world citizen and a world traveler and these type of person. The second transformative experience I had was in my mid-20s, which was a past life regression. And as I mentioned in part one, go back to part one if you haven't already listened to it. Right. I had past life memories as a kid. Yeah. But when you go into the sciences, suddenly your focus is more on the data and, you know, the, the methodology of the doing of the science. And, the, you know, you're, you're much more interested in answers, actually. Scientists very much like answers, right? And yeah, yeah. We do. We like answers, and, and we feel good about it once we have an answer. But real curious people, who also can be scientists, like mm. questions. Mm. And I think I was kind of reaching a point where I was more interested in the questions again mm. than the answers. And one of the questions that kept nagging me was this past life memories. Mm. And I will say, actually, the reason I got this is, is funny. This is a cool story. I was in Spain on my honeymoon and I went to a church in Barcelona and I was kind of at a point where I wanted advice. And although at that point I was a recovering Catholic, which means I was raised Catholic, but I had gone quite far from organized religion at that point. Right. Um, I kind of appeased myself and the church by praying. And I was like, dear God, send me a sign. 
And the sign that I was sent was, you need to look into your past lives. And so that's, I thought was weird, right? How did that come? I mean, like, come on, like, I need a bit more details of how you got. Claire audience. Oh, right. Claire audience. So it was um, a voice in my head. And it it was a, no, no, it was not mine. And And when I hear these voices, they come in my right ear. And so it, it feels like it's um, sometimes masculine hmm. um, and sometimes androgynous, but hmm. it's a voice and it hmm. said, you need to look into your past life. Right. So what do you do? You go, you go, I went home, I Googled it <laughs> like you do. Yeah. And there was a woman nearly in my backyard that did past life regressions. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Like, that's too coincidental not mm. to take up. And I'm one of these people who, when a clue presents itself to me, and I have so many stories of this, I follow that clue because I, I just feel like it's too coincidental or synchronistic not to. And so I made an appointment. I went to her office, and I did two past life regression hypnosis therapies, but with one year in between. So I'll tell you about the first one. Yeah, like kind of quickly because it was the second one that really, really made a huge difference in my life. But the first one, you know, I'm still science teacher at this point. I'm still, you know, mucking around with machetes in the field. Like I'm still very science focused. Yeah. But I get brought down to the hypnagogic state and she audio records it. And suddenly, as clear as can be, clearer than reality, I can see myself as a young kid mm. walking on co- cobblestone streets. I can see everything next to me. Um, I'm a boy. Uh, I have freckled legs. I have, like, dirty red hair. I can see, like, kids playing with, like, you know that old-fashioned game that's, like, a wooden hoop and a stick, and people are, like, playing with a stick? I can see that in the background. I know mm. there's a clock tower in the town, and my, le- my house is to the left. And then she takes me to different stages of my life. And it turns out, you know, I grow up to become a carpenter and I can feel myself planing wood and I can see the wood coming out of the little thing and I can feel the the boards and I can Mm. see my workshop. I see my wife. I see what her wedding dress looks like, all her buttons. Mm. I can feel how happy I was. I have two kids and I go through a whole life in this, in this regression Mm. and um, I die in the end and I can see myself coming up from my bed and seeing my body. And, you know, we go through this afterlife experience of like, what were the lessons that I was meant to learn in that life, et cetera, et cetera. She pulls me out and she says, Oh my gosh, you're really good at this. <laughs> and I'm still <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, was this like my imagination? Cause you don't know, right. You don't know. But the weird thing was it felt more real than real. I never had had that specific memory as a kid. I never Mm. had a memory. I think I was in in Scotland in the late 1700s. I had never had that specific memory, but the way that I was brought so easily to these memories and I could say exactly what I was seeing and hearing Mm. and saying words that I don't say. Like Americans, we don't say the word trousers, but in my past life regression, I remember saying, Oh, my, I let my brother borrow my trousers. And I was like, that's a weird thing for Katie yeah. to say. Yeah. I wouldn't say yeah. that. So she said, you know, you should consider doing something called a, path, a life between live session. Mm. And when I heard her say that, I was very um, hesitant. And I, thought, I also didn't want to, like, be taken advantage of. 
I was still um, skeptical enough that I'm like, I'm not going to pay you twice, lady. You know, like, give me some time to integrate this. Give me some time to really mm. digest this. And I, and I did for a year. And a lot of my life improved as a result of this session, including I was much more empathetic. I suddenly had no fear of death. I suddenly understood why people may be the way they are in a different way that I wasn't born with. And come one full year later, I decided to call her again and do the Life Between Lives session. And what that's meant to do is give you an idea for why you chose to be born this time. So it's working under the framework that we've all chosen our lives. And just, just to put that into perspective of my story, when we were about 10, no, I think I was older. I was about 12 years old. Our teacher introduced us to this topic about how Plato said that we all chose to be born and then we go through this like realm where you forget and then you get put into your body. But like sometimes you remember parts of your purpose. Mm. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, I know that. And I felt so sure of it. Right. And so it's so strange because when I go back to this now experience in my late 20s, Hmm. And, you know, we're working under the framework of like, you've chosen your life and you've chosen the people you were born with and you've chosen your purpose and you've chosen all these things. You wrote it into a little script. Um, let's just see what yours is. Um, that wasn't terribly unfamiliar for me, although, I, although like it seemed a little far fetched for my logical brain. There was something in my heart that felt like, no, that's true. You know, hmm. like I, I know that's true. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, I can, I'll, I'll like briefly tell you a little bit about this, but if you're really interested, ask me more questions because I can talk about it for all, forever. But it was, um, I was introduced to my life. Uh, basically, I, I saw the life right before the one that I had this time. So who I was before I was dating. Um, and then I saw, you know, why I chose to be born. And what was interesting was I was not meant to be born, actually. I was written in as an if-then statement for my mom. And so my mom reached an if-then statement in her life where I was put in. And then that's, it was like probably very improbable that she would reach that stage. Hmm. But for some reason in her life, it took that direction that then I was unborn. And so that was interesting for me because there are many times in my life that I felt like I was here almost like on vacation. You know, that I was like here as, as like an um, observer. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm. And then it showed me why I had the relationships that I had. And so, again, you're seeing all of this in your mind's eye and you're hearing it in your ear. So I'm hearing like, you know, you're, you have this person in your life because they had to teach you betrayal. And you have this person in your life to teach you self-compassion. And this person in your life to teach you um, persistence. And the reason you were bullied was because you needed to get a backbone. And like these things. Mm. And that was so healing in many ways for me. Mm. And then also I, I saw a scroll and they said, this is your life. This is your life. This is where you are. And I looked at it and I said, what the hell is this? This looks like an if-then statement chart. This looks like a choice chart. It's yeah. like, it's all these little, um, you know, if this happens, then this. And if this, then this. And it, like, I looked at it and it looked so confusing. Yeah. But it showed that there's a, there seems to be a level of free will. 
that right. like there is every possible scenario that could happen, but you still kind of get to choose those scenarios, like to choose your own adventure book. And so I think what was probably the most interesting for me now looking back on this, and I remember it clear as day, and I talk about it a lot with people who are really interested in it, is it seems to have been quite prophetic. And I wouldn't have known that at the time. But some of the things that said these are going to be moments in your life that are really good, and these are going to be moments in your life that are really challenging, they have happened. And I think that's what really blows me away is that, if this were just my imagination, and I'm completely okay with that. Like I'm okay with maybe it was just my unconscious telling me these things. I'm okay with it. That is yep. the reality of this. Yep. The prophetic part is what blows me away. And you could probably argue like, oh, well, maybe you made yourself do that. But I wasn't given um, direct timelines like this is going to happen in 2010 and this is going to happen in 2000 whatever it just is like when these things happen you're going to feel like this and when this happens in this order that might lead you towards this direction so just trust yourself and i think those that experience was very helpful for me because it made me trust more and trust myself more and trust that inner wisdom and that soul that has access to this knowledge. So it's like when I get little clues of the way that I'm meant to be doing something mm. and what I'm supposed to take path-wise, I listen. And I think it was as a result of that. Can but I'll you, pause because I'm you, sure you have well, so much yeah, to because, ask. Like, so what's interesting is what you're doing is uh, like um, what, you're, what you're saying is on a very um, high level like if then statements and so on. And I want to ask you if you can, and I don't know if it's possible, can you bring it down to a more of a feel level? Like, like you, um, you were told this, then this appeared like in your life specifically. Yeah. Like what it uh, looked like. Yeah. Like what it looked like, what it felt like. And, and then, yeah. Was it, was it a really a a choice? Cause I I do believe um, in the whole idea that, we have fates and destinies. So we have things that we can choose and expand on, like talents, which is sort of our yeah. destiny that we have. And then we okay, have yeah, this is something great. is going to hit you and you're going to have to deal with it. And it may well, you know, may well be intertwined, like the Chinese say, you and fun, which is they, they have another word for fate and destiny. So meeting a teacher is always your fate and destiny. Mm. Um, but you yeah. get to choose sort of thing, whether you follow it. So, this is good. Okay, first let me give your audience a description of the way it uh, presented itself to me because I am quite visual. And so for me, when I crossed over and, you know, when you do hypnosis, they always bring you to a bridge and then you cross the bridge and you go Mm. into this other realm. And I'm not saying that my specific version of the realm is the realm. I think it's my specific version of the realm. But what mine looked like was very Greco-Roman. So it had architecture. So when I walked in over the bridge, suddenly I'm faced with these beautiful buildings in a pale pink sky and the pale sun, but, you know, full yellowish orange sun, but pale. And I often wonder, where is this place? You know, like, is this a real place? Has this been discovered? Like, is this just my unconscious creation? Whatever. But it had architecture and each building was something else. And so I went to one building to meet my guides 
and my guides looked like a swirling form of, um, I couldn't tell if there was three people or five people, but I knew that they were all swirled up together and it was bright yet greenish blue. And then a person's face would come out and be like, I'm your dad, you know, like I'm your dad and I'm, I'm this character in your life. And then it would go back in and then I would have another one come out and I'm your mom. And this is what our relationship's supposed to be. And then it would go back in mm. and then it would just keep going back and forth. So the visuals were just stunning. Right. And it was just a very cool thing to see. And I remember even being taken to a river and the river was in the shape of a Y mm. And in the middle of the Y was the setting sun. And they said, this shape is very important to you. Do you remember why? And I said, no, I don't remember why. And they're like, no, you, got, you have to remember. The beginning of the Y, the bottom part of the Y, the bottom part, it's the source. And then it goes off into two different directions that are polar opposites. Yeah. But they all came from the same source. And then all of a sudden I got this like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. That's important to me. They said, this is really important to you in this life is understanding that all of those different sides, they came from the same source. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I remember this. So visually, there was lessons even in the shapes of things while I was there. And everything had meaning to it, right? And um, then what I had done before I arrived is I wrote questions on a piece of paper and then I gave it to the hypnotist. And so she read the questions to me and she said, make sure you ask these questions. And so one of the questions I asked was, what, what is my talent? Because I grew up, I'm not athletic. I'm semi-talented in theater. I'm not, I just never, I'm not artistic. Like I had nothing going for me. I was the president of my class. So I was kind of a nerd, like organizer, leader. But like, what is my talent? And I asked that question. They said, your talent is your ability to communicate. And the quicker you realize that, the more effective you'll be at your purpose. Mm. And so it's like, now I'm speaking with you on a platform that's going to reach however many people. And it's like, I really About took 10. that to heart for the rest of my <laughs> life, you know? Oh, yeah. Hi, 10 people. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, right? we may be breaking through the millions right now. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like that was really cool to me is that I always felt like I was a failure because I couldn't play basketball. But maybe right. my talent was something that was overlooked. I have an ability to communicate, right? And I asked about free will. That was one of the questions I had written down of what is the difference between free will and faith? And they said, it's, and this is the, the image they showed me. Imagine walking on a path and on the path, there is a flower. You have chosen your path, but you can stop along the path and see as many flowers as you want or not. Oh. And so there was something very like metaphorical about that. Of, it seems as if we do understand our path. Mm. We do understand it. We have a very um, con unconscious connection to our paths. I do truly, I truly believe that. That's one belief I haven't let go of. That's one I really, really hold on to. Right. But when you're on that path, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. And it's like it will feel um, aligned or misaligned. Hmm. You know, I think um, 
you are going to be able to indulge, right? I don't, I think when you're born as a human, you are still encouraged to indulge. So it's like pick the flower, you know, pick the flower, smell the flower, enjoy the flower. Or you can focus and just go straight on the path as fast as you can um, to the end. Or you can get off the path and just feel misaligned and lost and confused. Mm. But I do think that we always have that option of the path. Um, I always feel like it it doesn't matter. Um, In a way, it doesn't matter because it's teaching you. So it really doesn't matter. Like, um, maybe not. You know, you you maybe have a whole life of something and you've decided to really get that lesson in their life. Yeah. I mean, that's what it feels like to me as I look at people and like, I mean, look at my life and I go, well, you know, I can see this as, as a failure or I can see as I really wanted to experience that and I really wanted to know it. And so, so, I mean, it, it reframes it, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does. I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's a, it's very powerful. And I, you know, I'm, of course I'm, I like the coming from one source cause it's very much my sort of in line with my Dow DNA book, which is like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's the pages I read last night. And so that's why I'm like, okay, we're connected on that. It's definitely. Yeah, and um, I do also recognize, um, I think we spoke when we were just chatting earlier a uh, long time ago about the acorn later. So like years later, I found the acorn theory from James Hillman. He has a book called the soul's code and the acorn theory is just like a little acorn has the blueprints deep inside it to become an oak tree. Mm. It has a yearning. Even if that acorn is planted in a field of sunflowers, mm it has a yearning to become an oak tree. Mm. And when we, I think, are born, we have a little blueprint inside of us of who we're meant to become Mm. along the way. And we have these yearnings to manifest those. And they actually come out um, in funny things and funny tendencies and habits that we have as children and as young people. So like, for example, I find it really funny right now we're talking like this because when I was about eight, nine years old, I would put on fake infomercials in my kitchen to nobody where I would like pretend I was cooking and I'd be like, and now we're going to add the salt. And I would just pretend I was like presenting to somebody, right? Mm. Or I would play school in my basement to my neighbor. Mm. And what James Hillman would say say is these are your yearning of self as a child Mm. it's like you actually remember you're an oak tree in that moment you your your cravings and your your attractions and your the areas of your life that you have talents in they're actually part of the full picture being manifested in the smaller more less developed side of you but it's all leading you to the oak tree isn't it interesting because i I'm, i think we were talking about it in terms of my my Taoist teacher how he put a seed of Tao in you so he would like uh transfer an energetic seed and he said it it's you know it's going to grow and unfold as you do as you do the practice it was like you that whole idea of of seeds is an incredibly powerful um metaphor um and uh yeah um 
And also he would talk like about the, the seed holds the information and the seed has to connect with the external seed. So the, the world is, or the world or the universe itself is a seed as well. Yeah. So, um, they, they uh, and that's where you do the Tao practice, the Wu Wei practice, and then you're, because you're letting go, you're allowing things to be whatever they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and that's really powerful. Um, and so you had that, these, you're, you're I mean, we're kind of like in the, um, between lives uh, therapy thing, which, I mean, we, it sounds like we could talk for hours just about that. I know we could, we could talk about it forever. And, and then you came out and at what point in your life did you go, Oh, right. Um, I know this, I, I know this, uh, and I have to do this. And how did it feel? So after that experience, it just happened that I also left the U S for the first time and have since not returned. And that brought me into another perception shift because everything that I thought I was in terms of an American, a teacher, a daughter, you know, everything that was a place-based or career-based identity was taken from me. And I chose it. I chose it willingly. But I also was spun into a disorientation. And so the first stage in transformative learning is disorienting dilemma, where you're like dizzy and you don't know what's right and what's up and what's down. And mm. you, you're feeling like you don't know who you are anymore. Mm. And, um, you know, it feels like a death. It's a death. It's a death. And it's mm. a death of yourself. And mm. so I'm really grateful that that, that death of myself that was the external roles that I played coincided with the discovery of the more eternal soul that I was Mm. because suddenly I put, I I did, I still got depressed and I still hit rock bottom and I still felt all of the normal human emotions that one should feel when they lose everything. I did, Mm. but I didn't hold on to them as long because I felt like there was more to it that was the stronger, deeper part of the vertical dimension. And, and let me talk about the vertical dimension just for a minute because I want to just distinguish between the two dimensions. Yes. And we, we said before people like structure. Yes. So when I see the two different dimensions, um, the horizontal dimension, which is the x-axis, it's your day-to-day life, right? This is the, the time. This is um, linear time. This is what, when someone asks you, how are you doing? You talk about your X. You talk about your horizontal dimension. You say what you've done, who you are, your past, you know, what you're going to do. It's all of the things that are measurable, that are on your CV. You know, like these are the things that in our life that some of us live entirely on the horizontal dimension. Mm. But the vertical dimension, it is the timeless, ephemeral, infinite dimension of your feelings, your spiritual connection. It's when you touch something that is bigger than you. I often separate it into the north and the south. So I think that the north is your connection to all that is, all that is, the things that are more than you, that you are just a speck of, and it makes you feel very, very 
Um, we got a bad internet for a second. But in a good way. Yeah, we, you have to repeat and that because we, we got I'm, a bit of a... I'm part of something so much bigger. It's your mission. How's this? Better? Yeah, we, we, Maybe. we, we lost that frozen? for like, we got a Dalek talking to me. Um, we got, which is interesting. I always think like, oh, that's <laughs> like... Oh no, maybe we're talking, maybe we're, maybe we're onto something that they don't want us to know. Well, I think it's more like, um, maybe we need to like phrase it in a more simple way. Yeah, maybe like that was just too, too big information to go through the little, the little uh, bits and bytes of the internet. What do you think? Okay, so when you're in the northern hemisphere of the of the vertical dimension you're you're interacting with the mystery hmm. so what that is is what we call god the universe the big picture all that is hmm. it's the biggest of the big that's in the north and when you're in the north it's when we tend to find meaning hmm. that's how we make meaning is our relationship with the mystery Right. And when you're in the South, you're, you're connecting to all you are, your soul, your psyche, your individual mm. spark. Mm. And I think that's when you connect to purpose. Mm. And these, it's very fleeting mm. to be in the vertical dimension, but you get tastes of it. Mm. You get tastes a lot and whets your appetite for more and so then we create um rituals and structures and ceremonies and mm. things we build whole churches to get to that vertical dimension but it's we're not meant to live there we we are meant to live on the horizontal dimension but i do think that we're, we're meant to live in kind of almost a spherical pattern of you know, you go into the vertical, you come out. You go in, you go out. And when mm. you go in, you learn a little bit more about something. And then you bring it back to your life and you apply it. And then you use it. And then maybe five years later, you learn more about it. And then you apply it. So it's a spherical relationship. But both of those dimensions are really important. It, it's, um, I, I talk about um, the, the symbol that you're, you're using in in my book Dow's DNA um, because I say we're a bit we've got a bit of a difficult connection so I'll try and simplify it it's like an X like the Chinese 10 so um, if we said like things are just one-dimensional yeah it's like flat like that this is all we see and so on and then the other the other one is coming through it and penetrating it from one side to the other. So it's, it's representing connection, disconnection, penetration, going through to the other side, extremes, and the middle of it, all extremes. And so when we're in that center, which is like that God place where everything connects, that's the, the Tai Chi, that's the, the, the Tao, like or the, the, our our oneness of everything, internal, external, up, above and below, and past and future, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's a it's such a, 
a transcultural iconic symbol. You find it on the medicine wheel, don't you? This cross, and you find mm. the Celtic cross, and it's like it's like we know. And when not when I'm yeah. doing body work, you know, I put my hand on the body and I enter, and it's like it's like there's mm. this layer, and I have to go in and enter, and I'm in another world, and it's and it's bringing in a way that out and releasing it to to be in you, you, you more. Um, more seen and so on and so much i think probably right, what yeah. you do is is um if you can make somebody conscious of something automatically yes. like the amygdala just calms down and says oh it's that oh just relax then that's, right. that's a big deal um but um i think we've almost used another another whole episode i'm not quite sure because i didn't pay attention to the time we started so i must be the worst podcast host ever Anyway. I wouldn't say that. Well, maybe, well yeah, that, that, that makes that. us do a search of all the bad ones. Maybe I must be among the best. <laughs> um, yeah, listeners, go look now for worse ones. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Yeah, you're doing a, great. A link and we're, I think ones. it's hard too because it's like you and I can go, we can talk on this higher level. And sometimes I appreciate you say like, bring it down because we got we to gotta like establish like, what is this, right? Because I think when we're, when we're dealing with energy, and what we've been talking about is quite energetic. It's so ephemeral. It's so well, indescribable. Yeah. We have to create these structures and we have to create these um, pictures for people because otherwise it can be so hard to describe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some people might be driving and I'm just, you know, I mean, we're going to, we're going out into inner and outer space. Um, and okay, I'll give you some, I'll give you two examples I think that'll help people for the vertical dimension. Yeah. Like a ver when you're in the north, it's like when you see a sunset or you see a vista and you're just taken aback and you're breathless mm. and suddenly you feel like you're part of something bigger, but you just can't put your finger on what it is, but you feel like you kind of are in on the cosmic joke mm. and like it's just so beautiful, right? So that's the north. Mm. And I think like for me, an example for the south is like childbirth as a woman, we don't realize the strength and power we have as this strong being until we have birthed a child. And it's like whatever that essence was that was able to do that, it you you give a you you give a get an example of it during that moment and you're like, where was that my whole life? I didn't know I had that in me. And again, you don't want to live in these situations your whole life. It would be very exhausting. And I don't think our nervous systems are meant to live in a vertical dimension, but we are in pockets of them. And when you're in those pockets, you feel alive. You feel that is why we're here, is to have those tastes. And I think sensitive people, we are more prone to get tastes of the vertical dimension. And therefore, we tend to be more meaning-seeking people and purpose-filled, purpose-fueled people. Right. Uh, I, you know, um, I feel like we can, we can just keep on going. Um, I, I think one of the things I, I, I want to talk about with you is, is uh, the language that our subconscious mind talks to us in. Um, because very often, you know, we we get images which come through, and I think this is. But I think this is a you know like a, a topic uh, for a, another uh, time. 
there's two things like again talking about like so you're a kid or you're an adult and you suddenly perceive an entity um and oh yeah okay what does that feel like and then but i i honestly i don't think we can i, th I think if we touch upon it we can say yeah that's kind of that happens um and you know it, it frustrates me a little bit that science is not you know i think psychology is is uh, probably one of the more difficult sciences because it, it tends to be less believing of this than um, you know other sciences because um, it because of its need to want to be taken seriously um, by the other sciences and yet um, yeah it, what we kind of need to know is like well how do we deal with that um, and uh, yeah I think we've got a lot to talk about um, well, the good news is there are studies and there are validated studies that these experiences not only happen, but they happen to certain people more so than others. Right. And I think, um, um, you know, we love Jeffrey Mishlove so much. He has a guest right now. Um, I think her name is Dr. Simmons, and she has studies about the anomaly-prone personality. Oh, wow. And what the anomaly-prone personality is, somebody who is more likely to experience what we would call paranormal activity or, you know, mes metaphysical um, experiences. And there's a lot of research on why. And right. some of it has to do with the temporal lobe. And, you know, it has a variety of names, right? High sensitivity is one, but I think another one is um, thin boundaries um, and transluminosity or something is another one. I can't remember. Mm. But it's, um, there are people who experience paranormal activities as um, a state, like maybe they're exhausted or they're grieving. So they maybe just experience one paranormal um, experience one time in their life, and that was a state that they were in, and it was one, one and done. But then there's people who experience it as a trait and they are the ones who it occurs to them often. And I am someone who it occurs to often and it has been my whole life. And it may have to do with something as simple as my nervous system or my temporal lobe. Right. Um, but there are others like us who experience this more often. And when we come out about it, about how we're experiencing it, what it looks like, how it feels, mm. how you know it's true, what are the validations that you have? Like I have a great story I share on Stuart Palm's Mysterious Universe or Mysterious World oh, yeah. podcast. So if you want, listen to that podcast. And um, where I saw a ghost for the whole weekend straight, nobody believed me. And then my husband saw it. And then we both saw what it looked like. And then we asked the person who owned the house, well, there's a ghost here. And he said, oh, that's Benji. I said, well, what does he look like? And he described it to a T, what we saw. Oh, right. And it was, really, it was really validating because you start to realize, okay, these experiences are real. I'm able to do it. I'm able to do it at will. I'm also able to turn it off. So clearly this is something that is a, a, t a talent or a skill. Yeah, yeah. So you can play with it if you're brave and if you have some training mm. um, and you feel safe, I, but you I, can also turn it off. I, I, I think what, what I like um, is these two terms, true and valid. So, so when we say something is, is correct or we say correct and valid, something is correct, it's true. 
And something valid is, um, uh, if you like, it, it sort of makes sense, if you know what I mean. I've forgotten what the definition is, but something, so essentially you're seeing the ghost, it's true, but it's not, it's not valid. It doesn't really, it's not a valid thing until somebody else experiences it. Yeah, that's what's difficult about these experiences. Yeah, and we get yeah. validated and then somebody, somebody else brings it in. It's like, so it was valid. It did have meaning. And I think, you know, a lot of us are looking for validation um, yeah. in so many ways. And I think, I hope and that's I guess what, what I would encourage. What I would encourage is seek your validation, okay? Right. Seek it, but don't become a slave to it. Hmm. Because once you cannot accept without validation, then you shut it off. I think there is a level of belief begets belief, where believing a phenomenon will allow a phenomenon to occur. You know, yeah, we talked about this. My, yeah, yeah. I think that my husband was only able to see the ghost because he believed me, right? And then he saw it, and and then nobody else saw the ghost, right? But yeah. it was it's it's a belief that can you can be open, right? With reason, right? I, Don't be so open that you're letting everything in. You can be cautious, and you can you can literally tell ghosts no. I'm done. I'm not seeing you. I'm not dealing with you. Um, but you also can be open enough if this is something you want in your life. And if you don't want it in your life, you don't need to be open to it. I, I found, uh, and I was telling you about last time, the reverse situation where I'd seen something and I said to somebody, but you can see this, can't you? And they said, no. And then I was unable to see it. Once I'd like said to somebody yeah. and they said, no, that they'd, Deval devalidated something, if you like. Like it was a valid, it was yeah. a valid thing that I saw. Um, I think energetically things get shut down. Really, right? I, I, sending I, up, yeah. it was a blob, but I just got blobbed by them uh, because it was too challenging. And I think, you know, I think there's a certain psychic dynamic that happens when you share something that's a bit scary for other people and they say, yeah, it's okay, I got a blob for that. Blop. Yeah, and and they kind of shut you down. Like, it's a really. chewing gum in a hole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the psychic chewing gum. Yeah, that's maybe a name of a book, psychic chewing gum. <laughs> uh, hey, um, uh, let's wrap it up for now, and let's reconvene. Um, uh, at least have one in the can, as it were, for um, like, how do we um, frame? our experiences with entities and um and and uh, maybe we can talk about like um uh you know psychic kids and and how do we you know if there's frameworks that you're aware of of like uh giving children a certain amount of validation or a certain amount of security it's like instead of um it's like i could see that there's a fine line to to walk there yeah, I think I wouldn't have been as comfortable with certain aspects of my gifts if my parents hadn't gently encouraged me. Um, they didn't always, but I think I'm who I am because they didn't poo-poo it, right? I think they didn't they didn't shut it down for me. There were times I shut it down myself, but I, I was encouraged enough, and I think that can be a positive for many people who are sensitive. Right, and, and that brings me to a whole, like, 
the, the whole shutting down thing because you, you know I met um, here in um, Pi I met somebody who said like uh, she was a medium since she was a child and she did medium training to learn to shut it down because she didn't know how to shut it down and uh, so yeah. it was like oh wow there are um, there's ways I can turn this off it's like yeah yeah there, there's ways you know you just need to speak to your to your clan as it were they they know about it so Okay, so let's say bye for now. But thank you so much for coming and thank you everybody for listening. It's my pleasure. Yeah, people can reach out. Again, it's uh, growthquest.com and you can write me a cool story that happened, something that happened to you. I love it when people reach out. And um, if you have any questions, you can contact me there as well. Thank you, Katie. I'm so grateful.